Hey guys, what's up? It's Zemet here, and this is Cartel Aristocrats cast number 42. I'm joined this week with two guests so far, and we might even get a third in the middle of the episode. Uh, this week we have some very talented guests on, if you guys want to go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hey, what's up? I'm Chaz Volpe. I'm from the MTG Goldfish podcast, and you probably know me from Quiet Speculation. Tarkon's gone forever. Yeah, we lost Tarkon. He's in the middle of Malaysia. Hello? Yep. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, this is uh, Tarkon from the Quiet Speculation cast, and uh, I also do admin work over at the MTG Finance Central Facebook page. So uh, thanks for having me. And we're joined, as always, with Ed Wynn, buyer for Kerwan's Games, and Jim Casali this week. Now, you might be wondering, why am I pronouncing Jim's name correctly? Well, it turns out that Travis couldn't make this cast, so unfortunately for us, Toasted Raviolis won't be able to record this week. Uh, We'll have him on next week again as a normal cast member. Um, But there's a lot of stuff that is going on in the MTG Finance world that we should probably get into. First off, we have Modern Masters 3 coming up in under a month, or about a month at this point. And based on what shops have been talking about, uh, as far as how many boxes they're getting, Magic is officially ruined forever. Um, The amount of boxes shops can order is insanely staggering. If you're an advanced store, you can get 66 boxes of this set, which is obscene. Uh, I don't know what Ed's allocation was, but basically our distributors, instead of telling us our allocation, said, how many boxes do you want for this upcoming set? Just like free reign, how many do you want? So I think the set's going to be printed into the ground. Which means, will we get Zendikar fetches in Modern Masters 3? You guys want to sort of talk about your opinion on the amount of product that we're going to be getting as Watsi tries to milk this cash cow and what what we'll maybe see in the set? Yeah, so very similar to what you said. It wasn't a question of, we have this many boxes to sell you. How much of that do you want? It's quite literally, how many boxes do you want to order? which again was pretty unheard of for EMA. It was pretty limited for Modern Masters 2. It was bigger than the initial print run of EMA and the initial EMA or uh, initial MMA. And obviously MMA was very, very limited. And now obviously they don't seem to care at all. It, uh, um, it, it's quite literally how much do you want, which is definitely concerning. Um, we can go into a bit more into it later, but like the, initially the allocation, if there's no limitations, obviously there's no real limit. Um, furthermore, with no Mar Masters 3 Grand Prix, um, it just seems like there's just going to be a massive abundance of this everywhere. Well, do you think part of that part of the reason why they're not asking you how much do you want is because there's not a Modern Masters Grand Prix and there's like all that allocation that would have gone to that gigantic Grand Prix is just going to all the stores instead? No, because max, there would have been, what, 30,000, 40,000 boxes given out as part of the, the three Grand Prix across the system. And there's, like, what, I don't know how many shops. We'll say 15,000. That would only be, like, half a case each. So, I don't think so. And and that probably comes directly from Wizards of the Coast anyways uh, for the Mario Masters Grand Prix as opposed to getting them getting it from the distributors. The TO gets it directly from Wizards. Okay, so then this is, like, is this an unlimited print thing? Like, is this going to be, like, conspiracy where you can just have infinite of it? And I'm, I'm not really... I, this sounds very weird, I think. It's not unlimited. It's just considering that I don't know what Ed's talk with his distributors was, but for me it was basically how much do you want 
to buy, which is interesting because you don't get Modern Masters 3 from Wizards directly. You get it from your distributors. So the question is, how many waves are these distributors going to have a product and how low are these prices going to fall? So it's different from all the other Modern Masters you've talked to distributors with. But I think from what Jim was saying, so this is similar to like a conspiracy. Is that normally kind of the verbiage they use? The difference for a conspiracy is you could get that through Watsi and oh, right. okay, you okay. can always reorder and distributors are being given the all the power for Modern Masters 3. You can't buy it from Wizards. That's uh yeah, that's actually quite interesting. I was I was unaware of the um of the allocation uh sort of note on that and I do think that that's kind of that could end up being problematic. Um I mean at the same time there's also very very little buzz at least from I, I don't have a connection to a distributor uh, or, a, or a store, but at least from the ground level, it seems like there, there isn't a ton of, of hype behind this set. Um, I don't know if you guys think differently, but um, I'm kind of questioning how much of it's going to actually be open. That said, if there's an unlimited uh, supply, then it's kind of like conspiracy. Like Even if nobody opens it, then you can just always get it. And Yeah, that could end up being, being a problem. So I think the problem here is twofold. Uh, the first concern is that if it's unlimited, there's no urgency to buy it, right? Like obviously we've seen conspiracy two staples just slowly creep, creep up. Uh, Leobold is obviously the big winner, expropriate. All those have just slowly ticked up over time, but there's no real increase in demand for conspiracy two boxes because you can literally order infinite of them. Like I can call Wizards of the Coast today, uh, today's Wednesday and it'll be shipped to our to our store Monday. Uh, so without that urgency, people are less inclined to buy, which was what we saw um, with uh, the other three master reprint sets. There was a lot of pre-ordering people were all gung-ho, making sure that they had their you know, case or whatever set aside for them so they could buy it. Um, and two, uh, this will probably tie in a little bit with one of our viewer questions later, is that the way it stands to shape up, um, given that we have very limited information, it doesn't seem like there's the, any going. There's going to be any real high demand mythics and rares that are going to be reprinted. Um, again, this is purely speculation, right? We can assume that Liliana Veil and Snapcaster Mages will be snap includes, but beyond that, it just seems like the cards that are up for reprints kind of fall off a steep a steep cliff in terms of what they actually want to put in that actually legitimately has value, because things like with inclusion of Innistrad and RTR, there really isn't very much. You have voice resurgence, but that's dropped pretty hard over the past few years. Shocklands have just barely begun to creep up, and I don't think they would waste 10 reprint rare slots on Shocklands. Abrupt Decay has gone down in value into single digits. It just doesn't seem like there's a ton out there that makes this set particularly exciting at this point in time. Uh, you, got, you, you, you have Sorry. some cards that... No, I'm just saying. I think you have a little bit more than that to consider. Uh, you know, there's there's these like these twenty dollar cards that are twenty dollar cards for no reason. I mean, you have a pretty good list of stuff that you can include. I mean, Avison, Born Clex the Hungerer. Uh, you you got all this stuff that wasn't even touched any of the other times that I would probably expect to be at the mythic or rare level, especially because they've never been printed before. Horizon Canopy, Linvala, Keeper of Silence. Yeah, Cavern of, Cavern of Souls. I mean, there's a lot of meat on the bone still. 
And the most interesting part about this is the next four or five weeks, we have four big modern events, including GP Vancouver now that I just learned about. Uh, this weekend, we have GP Vancouver, SEG Indy, and then there's another modern GP, and then there's another modern event after that. So at the same time that they're pushing this stuff out, like modern events will be uh, starting to end right around this time. So there might be some increased demand on a lot of these cards. Now, the interesting thing is uh, if they start spoiling stuff, you know, if, if like you're a listener and you want to buy these cards for modern because you see the cards on camera and then they announce that the cards getting reprinted the next day and we've gone fairly into depth about uh, what we think will be reprinted and what won't be so we will spare you guys another half an hour of uh, basically flipping a coin on what's going to be in the set but you definitely should watch out for what's going to be reprinted if they don't um, reprint Mox Opal or Tarmogoyf like we might finally see Mox Opal especially, but Goyf might finally see a resurgence in price because it's just been tanking and tanking and tanking. And that's just something to watch out for. Same with like the Manlands, that could be a good cycle that they throw on Modern Masters. Uh, what I'm basically trying to say is don't buy anything before the spoilers come out. Yeah, and I think with the increase, I mean, from what you guys are telling us that this is going to be some massive supply. From a player's perspective, it's, it's pretty positive because well, conceivably anything that's in there is going to be uh, tanking in price because of just the sheer quantity. So that's something I at least to look forward to, um, which which could retain some interest at least for a while. But it depends on where Modern ends up with all these recent announcements. Yeah, I think that like if there's a large supply, it means that like, I might actually be able to draft this set instead of like, not being able to find any packs or like the... Eternal Masters, I did one draft, and it was like $40, and I was like not extremely happy with that, and I obviously didn't get to play it nearly as much as I wanted to. But uh, I just want to make a note to anyone that's listening. Uh, Modern Masters 17 comes out on March uh, 17th, which is a little over a month away, and spoilers usually end the week before the set comes out. So the full spoiler will be out on March... 10th, which is a Friday, or wait, no, that's the wrong, wrong month. Uh, oh no, it is still March 10th or Friday. Yeah, 10th is the Friday, yeah. And then the spoilers are usually about two weeks, so we're probably going to start seeing them Monday, the 27th of February, which means we still have like a week and a half before spoilers even start for this set. So, if you're like Vancouver, sorry. They might spoil stuff at Vancouver like they've done in the past at events. Yeah, Correct? but that's going to be like the super obvious stuff. Like they're going to show like the like Liliana of the Veil or like the new Snapcaster Mage art and then that's like it. Like things that we are like have already pretty much assumed are going to be in the set. The the Correct. like weird stuff might not start till 2 weeks from now. Yeah, good point. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did they condense Master Set spoiler season down to like 1 week? So that's the other thing that's been real interesting. Normally they have spoilers way ahead of time for their premiere sets. This is like the first time we haven't heard much out of Watsi, and this is the first time they've been pushing so much product. So, I mean, this set better be a slam dunk like Modern Masters 1, because if it's like Modern Masters 2, there's just no one's going to want it. Modern Masters 2, in my opinion, was a correct level of supply locally, at least for what my local player base is concerned as. And if they triple or quadruple the print run, they're just going to sit there forever. So... That's just I think a lot of it has to do with how many 
how many people they're really going to appeal to this set. Like the real difference between Modern Masters 1 and Modern Masters 2 was that people that played EDH could buy packs of Modern Masters 1 and get cards that they wanted. Like there wasn't like necessarily more modern staples by and large. There were just a bunch of like really expensive EDH cards that the modern players could sell to stores to get their money back or whatever, like doubling season, for example, and that EDH players would buy to help, you know, supply or to pay for the booster packs. I wouldn't be surprised if there was uh, some EDH stuff in this one as well. Um, I actually, to, to go back to Ed's point, I think he made some some really critical points, and I think that uh, I don't think this set's going to be that interesting. I think that's part of the reason why there's no major events around it. I don't know if that's because they know that or they just think, uh, I'm not really sure, but I have, a, I have my gut sense is that it, for example, you mentioned Fetchlands, uh, Jeremy. I think if there was like Fetchlands in this, or if there was some kind of like, I mean, marquee type of card, I think there would we would have something more built around it. I, I, that could be a wrong assumption, but I think this this set's going to be kind of uh, uh, it's not going to be overly exciting. Which also uh, it kind of makes me worry that if if this is a conspiracy type of situation where you can just get it whenever you want, then as far as pricing is concerned, I mean, things are just. You're, this is going to be another one of those sets you just you just really want to avoid because there's always going to be uh, some of it out there that you can buy and and you're never going to know when the quantity of supply is going to stop and I, I don't know I mean it could end up being really really I, I at first I thought that this was going to be a set that maybe you wanted to buy into because I didn't realize that the supply issue was you know there was going to be a, as much as you wanted but if it's not limited this is, might end up being a set to kind of stay away from. So I think that this will be limited, but not to the degree of Modern Masters 2. Um, it's just going to be a lot out there. I think we'll get one giant print run and shops will slowly sell it. Now, the reason why it's interesting is because we already have shops that are selling boxes for 190 185 online, which is insane. We've never seen boxes this low uh, for pre-order without knowing what, what's in there. I mean, shops are paying 130 140 a box, and they're just like, yeah, I hope some sucker buys these at this point. Uh, I think the the real lucrative stuff will just be waiting for that first weekend when the set drops, when everyone tries to undercut each other, especially on a like massive supply influx that we've never seen where everyone's like, oh, I opened up a Snapcaster Mage, let me sell it real quick. And everyone's trying to push the same stuff the same time, especially for an overglutted market. And if you're just going to buy these cards for Commander or something and you want to get a Snapcaster, you buy you pick up a Snapcaster and you don't look back at all like you don't try to wait and you know there's going to be more supply entering the market but if you're just trying to pick these up for casual play and we get like snapcaster major another good uh casual card like crucible of worlds just like buy it that first weekend and don't look back because i don't think prices will get lower than they normally do the first weekend when everyone's dumping the same thing um yeah that's all i got to say on that is, is shops are already making thin margins on these boxes by trying to undercut each other on TCG without any card being spoiled. So th this will probably kind of segue into our uh, next topic as well, but I think the interesting thing to note that's a little bit different about, I think, this Modern Masters compared to the past ones is that in the past, with both Modern Masters 1 and Modern Masters 2, there was definitely more interest in, hey, I'm looking to build a modern deck, people printing through people printing things like twin tarmogoyfs all those things that was actually a reason to be building modern decks people actually needed those staples to build modern decks the problem that eternal masters had when it first came out was that i don't think there's actually any real increase in legacy events or legacy players 
right? If someone opens up a box of Eternal Masters that they pay 200 for, and they open, like, for example, a Force Will, well, great, I have one Force Will, I'm still, you know, $2,700 away from building a Miracles deck or a Delver deck or something, right? Most likely, if they don't play Legacy already, they're just going to want to sell their Force Will to the store. And the way this applies to Mar Masters 3 is that if there's, with the way the premier events have kind of been toned down, we've seen less and less premier events, uh, both at the Grand Prix level, there's no Mar Pro Tour, obviously, anymore. Um, if there's less reason for people to be b wanting to build modern decks, that might actually also affect how this set kind of sells in terms of what people are actually wanting. Because both Lillian and Snapcaster Mages, they've seen some pretty drastic decreases in the past few months, especially since people have been anticipating the reprint. And every Grand Prix I've been to, the sell price and buy price on Snapcaster Mage has been progressively lower. And I think this past weekend at Grand Prix Pittsburgh, we had no shortage of Snapcaster Mages that we bought at $22 because people were basically looking to get rid of them and with the intention of just rebuying them once uh, once Mar Masters 3 drops. So do you sort of want to talk about the question that the viewer brought up about this whole modern thing going on? Uh, yeah, let me pull up my Twitter here. So the question was, uh, it's a two-part question. Uh, the first part is uh, from David Patton uh, at David L. Patton. How do you feel the continual push from Watsi for standard going to affect modern and legacy with little support? And the second part kind of ties in. How do you feel? How do you guys feel regarding scaling back of non-standard constructed premier events? What does this indicate? So I think I kind of touched on that briefly. I think with less and less modern seasons in the sense that hey people need to be getting cards in anticipation of event i really think that might actually hurt modern masters and sales in terms of what people would be looking to pick up as opposed to oh i opened a liliana i don't need it because my deck's already done or i'm just too far away from realistically building john i'm just gonna sell my liliana back to the store And we posted the uh, the question in the chat on the side, guys, so you can see exactly what people are asking. Yeah, I mean, I've been playing this game a long time. I don't understand why everyone's so surprised that they're pushing standard. I mean, ever since I was younger, standard has always been the constant in this game. I mean, you look at all the previous, I'll just lump them all together, extended, modern, legacy, vintage, whatever. Uh, all these eternal formats just have all gone to the wayside. I mean, they just really, I, th I think, you know, as good as they are and people like Legacy and people like Modern, you can continue to play them. I mean, they're still going to be there. But I, I think you have to just take a step back and, and realize from a design perspective, just like game design perspective, that these eternal formats are are seriously inherently flawed. And we're starting to see that, you know, it starts out great, everyone's hyped, and then a couple more years, people are still, like, you know, hyped, and, you know, they're still playing, and then, I mean, it just kind of, as the years progress, people just lose interest, you know, there's obviously a price barrier, as more and more people get attracted to the game, uh, they can't find these cards, so, I mean, it's just a never-ending vicious cycle, and I really don't, I don't see a problem with Wizards making a business decision to prop up what they feel is their more, most successful venture, and that's standard because it really always has been. People can begrudge standard and not like it or what have you and say it's boring or stale or this, that, and the other thing, but 
I mean, everyone continues to play standard. So, and that's really just always been the way it has been, even since. I mean, I could think about like invasion standard and onslaught standard. I mean, it's always been standard. Tarkon, what do you think about masterpieces and their effect on standard? Uh, I mean, I definitely think that they they lower the ceiling for what standard cards are going to be worth. Um, I think uh, most people, in, at least in the finance community, kind of uh, talk about that or, or, or sort of recognize that. But it definitely, I mean, when when you've got, you know, $100 lottery cards, then, you know, the rest of the set's just going to naturally not, it's not going to be able to be worth as much. Um, yeah. Does that kind of answer the, the question? As far as financial impact or... I just want to... Um, you generally have pretty good insight you and Chaz both, which is why we have you on, obviously, about exactly what's going on with the standard market. And you guys talk about, you know, a lot of this stuff and reserve lists, but we'll, we'll get to that. Don't worry, Chaz. I do love that. Um, it, it's just interesting to see... Oh, did my audio die? Hey, you dead. sound fine to me. It's a little okay. robotic. Sorry about that. Um, it's just interesting to see... Uh, these, this effect that I think every financial person has understood, which is uh, masterpieces are great for shops if you can get rid of them online. You know, not everyone can necessarily, for, as a as a shop standpoint, list masterpieces for the lowest on TCG like Ed when you're paying thousands of dollars for a booth and all the personnel costs. But uh, if you're just some random shop in a backwater town and all these kids are selling you masterpieces that they pulled out of their boxes. It's essentially free money as long as you pay low enough to flip it. Um, but and the, on the uh, on the other side, we've seen the problem that there's not as much player confidence in standard. Whether it's Watsy just reprinting these mythics and random booster packs, like we're getting again for standard showdown, where they're artificially injecting supply into the market because they're not opening booster boxes for that. Um, and as a result, a lot of players are starting to sell a lot of their extra mythics because I, I think Ed and I had this talk where the bulk mythic is more like a bulk rare now because of the amount that are just getting out there with the newest sets. Um, yeah. So it's it's been real interesting to see the shift in MTG finance as far as standard goes from the days of $25 Jace Architect of Thought and $30 Elspeth Sons Champion. Right, so basically like the way that I see it is that you have... I mean, standard is, is a, a turn and burn kind of environment now. And I'm, I'm sure you guys with shops and, and going to the, all the events can probably attest this, but it's like you, you can, you get stuff in for standard, you buy, you, you get your standard boxes or whatever, you open the stuff, you wait for the pro tour, the stuff spikes, and then you, you have to just dump it and get out of it because all the stuff's going to inevitably tank. And then I don't think that the opportunity, like, I don't, you know, now we have basically standard has sort of the, the metagame has kind of set itself and I don't, I don't foresee there to be much opportunity financially in standard after this past pro tour and this, the, the, you know, the grand prix we just had that, you know, we saw the green black decks, but I think the the metagame is pretty much set. And now it's just sort of a, a wait and hold until Almanket's release. I mean, I don't think there's, there's much money left to be made in standard. I also think that the, the pre-order game where it used to be, it used to be something that I entirely avoided and I kind of, caution people. I think the pre-order game is kind of where you can make a lot of your money in the standard now if you're trying to do finance. I mean, I used to not re I used to not recommend it. I used to never buy $15 Chase Mythics, but when cards like Heart of Karen are so it's so blatantly obvious that they're pushing these this uh, a mythic and it starts out at 14-15 bucks, 
I don't think there's any problem buying into it at $15 because the likelihood that that card's going to tank to less than 15 past the Pro Tour and or not spike to $30 is very, very low. I think at the very least, you're you're probably going to be able to get your money back at worst break even, and you're likely to make some money on that. And I used to not say that. I mean, I, mean, I would have never bought... 10, $15 mythics. I was incredibly conservative. And things that are like rares that are three or $4, something like a Rish car, I, I, I totally think it's okay to buy those cards now at, at pre-order prices. Um, and, I, and I only say that, I mean, I, I want to make sure that I, I caveat that by saying, I don't think you should just go out and buy anything, but the cards that are obviously printed to push the set, because standard is the set that they want to highlight, so they're going to print cards that they push to make people excited about standard. So yeah, I mean, I think that there's that you're going to see those cards. They're going to be very obvious, um, and you can buy those at, at higher pricing. And I wouldn't have said that before, but I think standard is a set releases. You have to move in. You move in fast. You get it. The, the events happen. The the metagame is set, and you get rid of the cards as soon as possible. And and that's it. I mean, to your question about masterpieces, I mean, it it simply caps the value, and and it's just harder to make money. Long term in in the world of standard, long term is like you know six months, but it's hard to make money long term, and stuff just isn't going to go up as high. So that's kind of yeah, it. I, I definitely agree with what, a lot of what you said. Now, I think that certain things like like the excessive planeswalker tax that we saw for like three years after Jace the Mind Sculptor, where like every every planeswalker started pre-ordering for like forty or fifty dollars when it had no no reason to be. That those are pretty much like things of the past, and at this point, if the card is, for the for the most part, is expensive at pre-order pricing, it's probably going to stay that way for a while. I will admit there have been some some like things that really haven't followed that rule. Like for example, Chandra, uh, Torture Defiance was like a fifty dollar pre-order card. I probably wouldn't spend that much money on them unless you needed to play them the first weekend of, of like the set release, but there there's definitely a lot of money to be made, especially right when this card gets spoiled. Um, cards that get spoiled and then sell out immediately on a lot of websites, you know, they start out pretty low. Like you could find uh, walking ballistas for like a dollar fifty or two dollars if you bought them the day that it got spoiled rather than waiting for like a week or for the first even the first you know weekend of deck lists or whatever. So there's definitely I think the best chance to make money during the pre-order period, especially when people don't quite understand how good a card could be in in the right standard format. Um, like the last time I went pretty deep on a pre-order card was uh, Worldbreaker and I bought like 30 copies of them for like three dollars. Hey yeah, I know. I'm a world breaker guy. And I, you know, it's it's if you play with them and you test with the cards, like you play a lot of standard and you know you're gonna buy standard cards, play with the proxies, do you know, play your decks and see what's good because a lot of people just wait for deck lists and you can beat them all to the punch if you do that first. Like I was playing the the ramp deck before World Breaker came out. I was like, man, I really want a seven drop that does something before I can play an Ulamog. And then they spoiled World Breaker and I was like whatever, seven mana, six slime, sign me up, man. And I bought a bunch of them because I knew I, I knew that's what I wanted to do and it was a deck that already existed. A lot of people made the comparison of Smuggler's Copter and Heart of Cure and they're like, well, it's maybe probably not as good because it's harder to crew and this, that, and the other. And then Smuggler's Copter got banned and 
realistically, we should have all just bought Heart of Kieran, but nobody thought. I was just saying that this morning. I was literally just saying that this morning, right? I just said that. No, I I agree with you. I mean, listen, Standard has good opportunities. You just have to come at it with some, you know, goals in mind. You have to have good card evaluation. You have to be kind of willing to cut your losses or just be really quick about it. I mean, holding stuff for too long is going to get you burned. But, I mean, there's at least still some constants in standard that you can fall back on where, you know, you have – obviously, you know when sets are going to be released, so those are always going to be hype periods, so you can kind of gauge those. But another thing that we might have to contend with, and it could be caught – you know, you just have to kind of tread lightly here – um, at least for a little while, is the banning uh, schedule. So they kind of have have said that they gave themselves more outs to ban stuff, and they might exercise those uh, those times to ban stuff at least for a little while. But I don't foresee that as something that they're going to continue to do long term. So that kind of fear of buying in and stuff like that will will kind of dissipate as they're as we get further along into their design. And, you know, them at least giving us uh, an article and saying, hey, listen, you know, this design wasn't working. We have to kind of print, uh, you know, uh, good answers to cards like Emrakul and stuff like that. So we don't have those problems anymore. At least, you know, that's on the horizon. Uh, so, I mean, like I said, I mean. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying. So at least, you know, like kind of a timeline on that. But. I mean, I, you know, you can still be pretty aggressive in the meantime. And again, like I said, there's there's going to be opportunities. You just kind of have to pick, you know, what you're going to, what cards obviously you're going to be going in on and have good card evaluation. You have to kind of set a time frame of how long you're going to be holding those cards because it could really be like hours or days where the hype just kind of falls off. Um, I'm just going to use it myself as an example. And I could, you know, I could just say I got lucky on this front. I mean, I was selling, uh, Oath of Ajani for $5, literally, for, like, no reason. So, I mean, you have to just kind of pick and choose what you want to do, and there's definitely still opportunities. You just have to, you know, you have to go into it with uh, a good plan. Now, you were talking about uh, standard confidence. The thing that's interesting to me, as someone who uh, players come in and sell cards to, everyone's dumping Sahili. No one has confidence that this card is going to survive a banning at all. And you've seen the price on TCG definitely plateau a bit. Um, if they ban Sahili, do you guys think that standard is run forever until we rotate? Because that'll be two bannings in like two months. I'm just going to stop you right there. Sahili, <laughs> people are selling Sahili Rise not because they think it's going to get banned, because it's just not that good. It's not as good as people thought it was, and the decks that are beating it are more popular right now. But Jim, I'm a scrub who only net decks. I don't have the pro playing skills of a professional magic player who knows how to play Sahili correct. Isn't the card just bad? Isn't the deck just too powerful and all these other filthy net deckers just filthily net decking away and taking away my top eight prizes? No, I mean like I don't think that, that Sahili Rai and Felidar Guardian were gonna be like they they could have been like the next Splinter Twin, but I think we've seen already that that's just not going to be the case. Like there'll be weekends where the deck is really good, and then there'll be a lot of weekends where the deck is really bad. Like there was only one Sahili deck that made the top eight of Pittsburgh and it lost in the first round. And there was just like infinite Mardu vehicles and green black snake decks because they're just pretty good. Like Walking Ballista just makes it so that the that, that, that you have seven cards in your deck that don't do anything. So 
you know, it's, it's, it's not an issue that people necessarily are afraid of it getting banned, I think. It's more that it's just not as good as they thought it was, and they have no reason to keep them. Yeah, I don't think that that deck has not appeared to be as abusive as people thought it was. I, I don't I don't foresee that card getting banned. I mean, exactly what Jim said. I mean, there was one in the top eight of Pittsburgh. If anything, I mean, I think there's other cards that are that are higher up on the chopping block priority list than than Sahili. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. But that's I could be wrong, but that's how I see it. And I wouldn't say standard would be ruined forever. Like I said, I think I've said it a few times that uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride. I mean, I don't. That doesn't mean that they will, but if they do, I wouldn't be surprised. So I think the biggest concern here is regarding <clears throat> customer uh, confidence in the product, right? Like as it stands, if we're going down this, we're going down this philosophy of. It, it clearly, like, Wizards has demonstrated that they are unable to properly test standard cards, right? Like, Emrakul was the best card for multiple sets that had to get banned. Smuggler's Copter was clearly undercosted. Heart of Kieran, pretty clearly undercosted, right? If they're going in, into this philosophy of, you know, hey, here's Excalibur, like, just, like, run around, wield it or whatever, but then we have, like, the shotgun to, like, just, like, take your head off if it does too well, right? That's kind of a bad... It kind of creates this negative, I, f I feel like a very negative, like, feeling for players. It's like, okay, well, like, I bought everything to build Black Green now, or whatever, like, and, like, what if Walking Ballista randomly gets banned because they just want to take Black Green back a notch? Or if they decide to ban, like, Walking Ballista, Sahili, and uh, Heart of Kieran, right? We're back to starting from square zero. There's going to be a new standard, but by the time Amonkhet rolls around, in theory, we will probably be able to solve standard again with a new set of Excaliburs that have come along. And then we just kind of have this rinse and repeat cycle that I think is just going to just very negatively affect how standard kind of plays out. If we just have like these super highs and then super lows and super highs and lows again. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, it's not a good thing, but again, if, if that's what their design was dictating all this time, because I mean, Tarkan, hinted on the point that, again, he talked about earlier today, that they made it blatantly obvious what... I mean, they, they made a couple cards that were so blatantly obvious and so blatantly pushed. I mean, it, it's just something that your people are going to have to live with at least for a period of time before, you know, at least they feel that they're good enough... That, that standard is good enough that they don't have to interfere and ban anymore, or it, it could just be a while until we see that their new... their de design philosophy has changed. So... I mean, we'll see. But I do agree. I mean, it's not good. But it, it's, I mean, it's not like we've, this is unprecedented, right? It's not like this has never been seen before. I mean, you know, other games do do this. So I don't understand why for Magic it's so unacceptable. Yo, man, Artifact Block, these have got to ban some shit. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, I think that, like, I, I think that there is hope for the future. We'll say that. Uh, oh, definitely. Wizards of the Coast has acknowledged that there is a there is a pendulum that swings that dictates how standard plays out, and there's a on one side of the of the pendulum is is you know threats and like creatures and stuff that attacks and blocks and kills people, and then there are answers on the other side, and I think that the pendulum has just been swinging a little too far towards the creature threat side and not enough to the answer side, and. You know, I think that that's a lot of the reason why people just don't like standard right now is you just you can get run over so quickly. Like, if you just don't have a reasonable first two or three turns, and that's 
pretty unacceptable for a game that used to you used to be able to play to your outs, but at this point, like if your opening hand doesn't look good or your deck can't support an opening hand that looks good against and a very aggressive start, you're just you know, you're just SOL. There's nothing you can do about it. And that's really limits a lot of what people can play. So I think like the biggest thing that you can see from these two artifact sets is we got zero shatter effects that don't cost a billion mana. Like red does not have a way to kill an artifact that does that costs less than three. That is unreal. That is like how do you how do you go into a set and then not print anything that kills an artifact in an artifact set? They just like it's not even Mirrodin. Like Mirrodin had probably too many shatter effects or whatever you can call them. But you know, I was just flabbergasted when we saw the entire Aether Revolt spoiler, and they just couldn't even give us shatter. They gave it to a shatter in uh, Cons of Tarkir when it didn't matter. But here, where like it would be an obvious sideboard card that people would play. You know, it's a little, it, it's it's a little narrow, but it's good against what it's good against. You know. People can play around it by playing non-artifact creatures, but it just doesn't exist in standard. It's just not an option for us. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I laughed in the Pro Tour Aether Revolt final when you know release the Gremlins was the best, <laughs> you know, the best answer you had. I was like, wow. I think that card's still going to get played a lot more than it probably. Oh should. yeah, yeah, I do agree. And. Um... You know, as we as MTG Finance as a whole has started moving away from standard because of some of the things Watsi's done and some of the format uh, changes, we've seen an increased focus on EDH. And one of our viewers has a question about that. Uh, at the underscore EOC asks, how long before the quote big finance sites start pushing their focus on EDH, as in gainers and losers charts? Uh, let me get one last like thought in on the last thing. Sorry. Um, I, see how it is. I, I think the biggest concern is um, like, it's just their philosophy. It just seems like they're intentionally trying to force feed us these certain mechanics, which is fine. Right. Obviously like with Kaladesh and Aethervolt, Hey, we're an artifact centric set, right. Having like having it oxidized is not good, right. Because clearly oxidized is just going to be better than every possibly every artifact that you can print in the set. Right, probably even better than like Smuggler's Copter because you gain equity when you're playing Oxidize against their Smuggler's Copter. Right, but the problem is they're trying to force feed us these things and we're basically, we don't really have a choice except to go with the flow. And I think like, unlike some other games, whereas like League of Legends, for example, I think League of Legends is very poorly designed because they have, they kind of go through these periods of, hey, we remade a hero or we're trying to force people into buying this new hero. We're going to make this hero very overpowered. And then at some point, we're going to have to, like, fix it. But at that point, the damage is already done. The meta has already kind of established itself, which is kind of the way it feels like standard is going. We've already seen some very set archetypes in place. Like, as soon as someone, as soon as they spoiled Felder Guardian, like, within two hours, like, everyone knew that Square Twin was back in standard. And it didn't take long for people to kind of jump on board that train. Um, and I think, like, that's... I, I think that's going to be one of the core problems in standard in addition with how they choose to address it, i.e. bannings. Uh, I think going forward, it's just something that finance will have to adapt in the sense that there's really no confidence in holding onto cards long-term. As soon as I open all my pre-release pro or as soon as I my pre-order stuff, I just want to ship it all. It doesn't matter that like Winding Conjecture I sold week one at like uh, pre-orders for like 30 cents it's now selling for like a dollar like 28 or something i'm fine doing that because i don't want to hold on because at the end of the day 
if I, the longer I hold on to things, the more likelihood that something is going to negatively affect me, whether it be the meta shifting, something getting banned. I would rather just make my money now, lock in my money now, rather than just get stuck holding like everything when it kind of falls out at a banning or a pro tour or something. So that sounds really familiar. Magic's in a Tarkin, bubble. Tar Magic Tarkin, that forever. sounds really familiar. You know? oh, oh, buy stuff and get rid of it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about EDH. Um, obviously, there's people that are asking us, why don't finance sites focus on EDH? Uh, I think that's pretty easily answered in which they do focus on EDH. Jason Alt basically went from being like, uh, throwing darts at a dartboard back when everything in Magic was going up four years ago to honing in on EDH and calling pretty much everything right now. And like, there's a bunch of finance writers who only do EDH stuff, and there's EDH websites dedicated that you can look through for finance stuff. Um, so do you guys think that EDH is the new place to make money, or is that already gone? Um, EDH is not Magic. I mean, EDH is going to live regardless of what happens to Magic. So, obviously, there's always going to be the support there. It's it's literally the future of Magic. I mean, EDH is honestly, and, and I've come around to it. Um, Jason is, is right to have kind of looked at this all the time. But, uh, you know, EDH is obviously just the best the best way, you know, the best avenue to go. Uh, when it comes to getting really the most bang out of your buck out of this game. Um, so I actually think uh, this is this interesting, interestingly speaks to a, a, a bigger point to the state of like the gaming industry in general. And I think culturally um, we've seen like, you know, when, when, Adults now were kids. They they were introduced to video games and, and board games and such. And I think gaming now, as as those people have gotten older now and they have the disposable income, games, and uh, they're playing a lot more games with their friends. And there's a lot of communities built around tabletop gaming. So, I think the com the communal aspect of EDH and and getting your friends together to play Magic, as Chad said, is is going to increase in popularity uh, due to the fact that tabletop gaming and playing with a community of people has increased in popularity and will probably only continue to increase in popularity. So I, I absolutely think there's money to be made in EDH and there will continue to be money, uh, continue to be money made in EDH. And I don't think, uh, I don't think the well is tapped at all. Uh, and if anything, um, we may only, we, this could just be the beginning. I, I mean, the, there could be a, a larger shift towards uh, emphasis on things like EDH and sort of like these casual communal kind of plays to play the game yeah we talked about this earlier today obviously it comes with a caveat you can't just like buy everything and just expect everything to increase so you have to have again good evaluation but edh is you know it, it definitely sells stuff it's definitely attracting a lot of interest there's a lot of opportunity there but it does not sell cards like premier constructed formats do right like it, it's few and far in between that these edh cards like spike you know five thousand percent or something crazy like that it's it's these cards that you stash away and most of the time you know they start like you know 50 cents or what have you and you just look at these graphs and over the course of a few years they they kind of creep up so and the other thing that you have to realize for 
this format is that people aren't buying four copies at a time or eight copies or what have you for their playgroups. They're buying singleton copies. So obviously there's that there's that factor there. And Until yeah, out, man. Until they start listening to Jason and buying four copies. I mean, it's real easy to to call that when uh, you're not actually speculating on things anymore, and you're just sort of naming things. Because like J- Jason shifted from, you know, being in the in the trenches, I guess you could say, and like the bulk trenches. If you guys have seen that picture of Doug wearing a hazmat mask in like some dusty basement, Jason's gone from that to like being. Like he's advanced past that. He now just can make a living doing content only and he doesn't have to like dig and do as much work as he used to. Um, so it, for, for Jason and everyone else, like when you have that much more time to, cause I know Ed, Ed's like always traveling and I'm always busy. I never have time to put away inventory to the fact that it's become such a problem where I where multiple places where I run inventory out of that. I'm behind on putting stuff away. Uh, when you have that time when you're not having to dig and go buy collections every day or be in the shop every day, it's a lot easier to look at all the data that uh, people are putting out there, especially on places like EDH Rec. But for people who may have, you know, normal jobs or just not a lot of time due to school or something else, you don't, you can, you don't, you just can't consume all this MTG finance content that's out there. Uh, I saw an argument today on Twitter about that we're reaching an oversaturation point for MTG finance cut. Co- coverage or content and i'm starting to agree uh don't get me started on rudy but um it's just like there's just people yelling from the heavens now with like clickbait titles just like trying to get you to listen to them so that they can spike the card that they've been sitting on forever without uh uh putting out a disclaimer that they own some of this stuff i hope that uh that episode this episode's name is super clickbaity just for that i think it's going to be like the qs cast blast from the past i don't know Something, well, something what they say click here to find out more <laughs> yeah i mean it's only an oversaturation if you read everything right like obviously if you pick and choose what you want to read you're you're probably still good i mean i i mean i teach i i don't do this this is not like my career i just do this because i like it but you know again i there's a few things that i'll flag that i like and and i will make a note to read it but i I mean, I, th- that's t- true to some extent, but if you look at me even like broader MTG, I mean, how many Cheerios, you know, how many Cheerios articles can you read? I mean, right? Like you, you see like on every single news outlet on MTG from Channel Fireball, Star City Games, you know, what have you, everyone's writing about the same stuff. So you have to just kind of pick and choose. Yeah, but that's because pro players need to get paid, and in order to do that, they got to write articles because grinding. All right, and so does so money. does finance writers. Well, I would hope they are getting paid. <laughs> uh, nope. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, like we all got lucky because we started in the finance game before there was a finance game. I would argue where you know everyone started learning at the same pace, where quiet speculation was new, and then MTG price came along, and now we have stuff like MTG stocks, EDH rec, like all these buy list scrapers. Star City changed their buy list so that you can't scrape it anymore. Like the game's changed, and for a lot of people trying to get in, try to get in within the last three years, they've had to hit the ground running and and consume, consume, consume right when the game started dying in popularity where we haven't had these 30% gross or whatever. And for people who have sort of been along and seen most of the things, like it, you don't have to consume as much content, but with the popular, oh, I can't even talk today. I'm so hungover. Popularization of 
the MTG finance subreddit and all this other shit. Uh, sweet. Didn't use the F-bomb there. We're still good. Uh, like everyone's trying to consume, consume, consume. And you have too many voices yelling in your head and not enough capital. And yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, know. Man. Can't let, yeah. I mean, like I said, you can't buy everything. You can't read everything. You want a personal, uh, a personal, a, uh, a tip here is don't read Reddit because it works out for me. But they say that we that all the MTG Finance cast members are all the same, and we've had every person from Brainstorm Brewery and Quiet Speculation on our cast. Yeah, whatever. I mean, both, you so. can't you can't please everybody, you know. Yeah. Ed, um, I actually spend a fair amount of my day just sitting at my desk reading stuff. Um, I think it's actually extremely valuable to take in as much information as you can, even though you know that like your average user on Reddit is probably incorrect on card evaluation, uh, price trajectory, etc. I think it's important to take in perspectives because if so, if there is one person who is willing to write out what they think, there's probably going to be many, many people who are also on that same page that aren't explicitly voicing it. Um, regarding some of the other things that we'd said, um, I'm going to give a shout out to Alex Sittner. He is the owner of Oasis Games in Salt Lake City. Um, I made a short detour in Salt Lake City for 20 hours on my way here to actually visit his shop and kind of pick his brain. And he was also one of the people that had, that like you said, Jeremy, had kind of got in with us like well ahead of the finance game. And this was, you know, back when there wasn't really finance, we were all just kind of chugging along realizing that oh cards have value we can take advantage of this and uh we kind of expressed very similar opinions in this in the sense that i've been playing magic since 1996 and up until probably about eight months ago there was never a point where i felt like there was any like uncertainty in magic i legitimately thought that even if magic was on a bubble it would kind of be self-correcting um in the sense that the market would kind of adapt itself rather than wizards basically forcing the market to go in a certain direction whether it be through like the original uh eternal masters conspiracy reprints um into having mar uh, masterpieces in every set um i i being in the game as long as i have i am starting to feel like it's time for me to get out and i've seen this in a trend among a lot of people as well i've definitely seen an uptick in probably the last eight months of people, oh, I'm just I'm just kind of done with magic. I'm getting rid of my power. I'm getting rid of my high-end cards, uh, legacy decks, modern decks, things I just don't want to hold on to. Again, because I, I think these people, having see, effectively seen it all since the beginning, whenever they start playing, you know, early 93 or whatever, or even some point later than that, it, I, I think the uncertainty is just like such a, big concern for people because up until like you know 2013 when magic was really taking off magic was probably like one of the hottest commodities out there you just like you literally could buy anything and you would make money on it blood moon went from being like six dollars on a buy list to retailing for almost like sixty dollars at one point and it, and it was just that easy for people to snap things up um and the market did kind of correct itself in the sense that modern just kind of naturally became more expensive uh which was what brought along more masters and it felt like that was kind of a controlled way to deal with the uncertainty it was kind of wizard's way of kind of poking a small hole in the bubble letting some air out but it it seems like that did create more problems and now it seems like wizards is kind of trying to go back and just stab a bunch of holes and let the bubble kind of deflate itself entirely and just basically 
go with a new world order type of philosophy. Um, and and I, I think to me, I find that extremely concerned. Uh, like I'm actively looking to get rid of all my magic cards. I've said this multiple times before. Um, I'm anticipating on getting rid of my set of beta power very soon. Cause it's just ever since I bought it, I've shoveled up once and I just have no desire to hold on to those things anymore. Even though, you know, people say reserveless cards are one of the best things you can do. Beta power. You say, call me. You got to make the hand sign with your, with your finger. Yeah. Come on, man. Sorry. For the people watching, Jeremy just whispered, call me, but didn't do like the, the pinky and thumb thing with his hand. I, what? Okay. No, so he was, he was. Mod, I he definitely was. did that. Yeah. He did. He did. Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, it, it, the screen didn't change to you until you had stopped, I guess. I don't know. Never mind. How do you guys feel about the magic being run forever? I mean, I have very little confidence in magic right now. For me, it's all about making back whatever I put in and then being able to pay the bills and the rest just gets thrown in a closet because I don't have time to sort. So bad. I mean, I think that this is not the first time or the last time that we'll see magic go through a regression. Like, Bingo. It's been a game for 20 plus years. This is not the first or the last time that this is this feeling might happen. Um, it might not get out of this very quickly. Uh, re- really, like, I don't know if if this is just what always happens, but it feels pretty close to what always happens. So uh, here's, here's, here's my, like, brief magic history of, like, the, the rise and the fall of different things. So usually what ends up happening is there's an artifact set. A lot of people quit the game because it's degenerate and awful and they ban a bunch of cards and then they do like a bad set and then they do a gold set and then everyone loves the game again this has happened more than once the first time <laughs> wrong the first time was urza block ruined everything rakidian masks block sucked a lot invasion came everyone loved the game mirror didn't happen a lot of cards got banned kamigawa block was after that that one sucked and then Ravnica happened, and everything was great again. Uh, those are the days. But yeah, you're right. So, so, and then after that, it was like Zendikar, yeah, it's like, Zendikar and New Phyrexia like messed everything up. I mean, I'm, why is it so unacceptable for Magic? I mean, it's like literally every other game that, that that happens to, right? Like ebbs and flows. I mean, it happens. You're absolutely right, Jim. I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not particularly surprised that this is happening. I don't think that the game is in a state where it's on unrepairable. I think that there are multiple problems in multiple different categories that need to be solved, but I don't know how to fix them and I don't know how long it will take to fix them. But all we can do is wait. That being said, I think that part of the other thing is that like people are getting older and the allure of playing Magic all the time has definitely waned for some players, like myself, where like I got to play on the Pro Tour once and it was sweet, but it was a lot of work, and I just don't want to put in the time or the money to do that ever again. Maybe not ever again, but like not in the near future. Like, standard's not in a great place. I don't enjoy playing it very much. I'm not. I don't own a lot of the cards anymore because I sold pretty much most of my standard cards when I, you know, got out of uh, got out right after the pro tour. And you know, I don't. I like. Previously, I would you know buy all the mythics, buy all the rares, and things, the cards that I would think was good, so I could play a bunch of different decks, whatever's the best that week. And that was just the thing I did for a really long time. But now I have a lot more time to like do stuff around my house, and you know, buy. I I bought a house. I 
got engaged. Like I have a lot of like just life things I got to do right now, and I don't have time or money to pay for magic. Plus, casual play is so much more rewarding. Yeah, I, I some new guys got hired at work, and like I walked by his desk, and he had like a play mat, a magic play mat. I was like, "Hey, you play magic?" He's like, "Yeah, I only play EDH." And I was like, "Sweet, we're gonna play all the time now." So we play like every Thursday night or whatever. You certainly don't have to worry about what's how standard is when you're playing primarily EDH. That's for sure. I mean, you do a little bit. Like sometimes you want to buy cards for EDH. You're like, "Man, I really want this." Uh, whatever like Paradox card. and you know what it's just so, like uh, all the other times you just wait it out so i i think jim made some some really poignant points and i pretty much agree with him that you know magic always goes through some kind of contraction period and it has for a long time there's every five years or so they'll something like this will happen this period where you know things will things will be scary and things will look bad um, that's the first point. I think, uh, I think the, the bigger point is that, you know, the marketplace as a whole is, has shifted a lot as far as just gaming is concerned. And again, I, I mean, I, I try and see, I try and look at the big picture when I can, whenever I can see what's just, what's going on generally in, in the gaming industry. And, you know, when you have things like mobile gaming and, and you have so much more stuff that's competing for people's attention, um, I think Magic, I think Watsi, everything that they're doing is in response to the market and trying to stabilize it and trying to keep, sort of hold the retention for people's, <laughs> retention for people's attention, um, and, and try and get kids kind of into the game. You know, when you've got stuff like League of Legends, when you have mobile games, when you have all these things, it's a, it's a lot more difficult. So to me, the, I'm, not, I'm not scared about these ebb and flows. This just happens all the time, and that's not what worries me. I get more worried when I think, okay, do kids are kids going to eventually care about holding a magic card? You know, when when we grew up playing, it was so cool to pick up magic cards and play because the, the, I didn't have fifty mobile games, I didn't have a billion different video games. I, you know, it it was something that was really exciting, and that feeling of of wanting to play magic. You know, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I would hope, but I don't know if that's you know if that's a kind of a permanent thing that you can you can keep in place with these kids. So. That's more of my concern um, when I think about you know the natural evolution of the marketplace is if they can you know ensure that the kids love playing the game and they and they respond to it the same way that we did when we grew up. Um, that to me is the, the the bigger concern. But as of like the short term, I mean, I know Ryan Bouchard over at the the the, the Finance Central Facebook page made a comment that he said he sees none of the casual cards tanking. And as long as the casual cards keep growing and are, are stable, then the game is fine. And I would tend to agree. I mean, I think once you see the casual cards start to drop, which obviously we haven't seen yet, then I think that's a sign that maybe there might be some real red flags going on. There could be some real danger. But, you know, the, the, the tournament stuff going up down and the stuff with Masterpieces, yeah, it sucks. And yeah, it's a little scary. Like, I totally agree. And, and there's some uncertainty. But I don't think, that, you know, I don't think it's doom and gloom. For what it's worth, how are you, you had to switch strategies because their current one would have been fucked. There's one. Like modern is down 25-30% at this point, and Hari Yuya probably couldn't afford to keep doing what they're doing if they didn't start looking at other avenues of revenue. Or make frontier. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like realistically, like as much as I do kind of run around saying like the sky is falling and magic's dying like you guys are probably more right in the sense that there's a happier medium like yeah we're kind of 
probably going through a regression right now. Things do kind of seem like they suck, but like I think Tarkin like made the best point. As long as casuals will continue to buy cards, Magic will continue to endure. Like it, it just so made those things. The fact that you know I can sell like Doom Blades at fifteen cents and sell like hundreds of copies because people will always play that card is like is a clear indication that there's more. To, there's is just so much more to Magic than. You know, Heart of Kieran is the most problematic card in standard. Like that is a relatively small problem in in relation to hey, there's just so many magic players out there who don't care about standard at all, who probably will like never buy a Heart of Kieran or an Aether Vault pack. They'll just continue to chug along Thursday night at work, apparently. So and it's those types of things that like magic will I we can continue to do what we do because of because of that effect, because of the casual effect. Yeah, and I mean, you as you know, you work with a store. You also have to be pretty. Uh, you have to like the fact that the last eight consecutive years they've seen increase in growth. So there's also that aspect of it too. By the way, when I mean, when you have vendors, and this is stuff that I just I can't believe I'm seeing these days. That I've never, you know, when you have vendors like um, Universe Games, Magic Dot Cards, these guys have like wholesale distribution agreements with like even larger stores. I mean, that's. I would have if you had you told me that ten years ago that there was going to be merchants in place that were doing these like really savvy sort of like business strategies, I would have been like laughing and saying there's no way. But I mean that's stuff that we're seeing these days. So I mean I I think that there's aspects of the of the industry and the business that are, you know, that that, that have some concern in them. But I think overall the game is is healthy, honestly. Yeah, I mean we talked to a few vendors now, um, and a lot of them seem pretty positive. You know, all things considered. To be fair, um, if they don't represent themselves positively on your cast, then uh, they're not getting any business. There's there's no incentive yeah. for us to be positive on this cast. Which is normally why we have Travis on as a co-host all the time. He brings it down to that perfect salt level where it, it just sort of, it's the perfect soup that cooks right there. Uh, let's move on to one of the last things. This is sort of Easier to talk about, but at the same time, pretty amusing. Um, people are saying Puka Trade's back. That uh, Puka Trade is, you know, they've they've refigured out their economy. They they have bonuses implemented in the system now. Uh, they're giving away stuff every week. Uh, there's now a, a competing site for Puka Trade called Card Sphere, which uh, they've been promoting like crazy on Reddit. Like, hey, Puka Trade is dead you know you should trust in our fancy points because you can still not redeem them for anything um i think it's a load of uh a crock of shit basically um never send your cards off for uh random points because you only want to do it when the system's growing so you know you can get your stuff back right away but like uh, it's just it's it's a ponzi scheme at this point it's like giving ogre a hundred thousand dollars and expecting him to make a profit in my opinion it's just not worth it Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. That's all we need to say about that subject. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I have... Sorry, go ahead. Go <laughs> no, I was just going to say that I, I have actually never once used Puka, so I don't have a lot of insight here, but I did not use it for the reasons that most people probably stopped using it and the reasons that it ended up, you know, 
losing a lot of popularity. So I, I have no faith in that platform or that system. Uh, I think it's an I think it's a very, very intriguing idea. And maybe, uh, I don't know if Puka can pull it off, but maybe there is in the future some way to make that kind of, uh, I guess, incubated economy kind of work somehow. But I, I, I don't think Puka is the way to do it. I'm definitely an outlier here, but I, I did not. I, I, I used the site a while back. I actually wrote a few articles for them. I, I didn't I didn't really have a hugely negative experience, but I mean I can understand everything that happened. Uh the only thing that um I did get burned on was um investing in the Indiegogo thing, but I mean I got what I got out of it, so I can't even really say that like I got duped or scammed. So I mean, like I said, I, again I'm I'm the outlier here, but I mean, I can understand all the issues that are going on. I actually 100% agree with you. I think, like, realistically, like, Puka Trade is just not meant for us. Like, it's just not meant as an avenue for you to to be making money on. I, it, it, it realistically, you're just kind of pushing cards for other cards. If you happen to come out ahead, then you're probably one of the few lucky people who got in early and got out early. But, I, like, I had used that for a small period of time, and I just realized that, the added step is just I would just rather, you know, get hit with fees on TC player, eBay, whatever, than just kind of be stuck in this circle that doesn't really have an end to it and didn't really make sense to me why I got in the first place. Yeah, good point. And for the record, I mean, I haven't used it in a very long time. I got into that Ponzi scheme uh, right after Vegas when they, were, when they hosted that big content uh, creator party, if you guys remember that. Uh, I don't know who went to GP Vegas, but they're like, oh, it's the, it's the, uh, it's like the big content creator thing. We're going to have Brian, we're going to have Anthony, we're going to have MTG headquarters, we're going to have uh, Rogue Deck Builder and like all these content creators uh, over for the party to celebrate how good Puka Trade's doing. And I, I didn't go to that. Um, oh, Kenji was there too. Uh, but you know, they like started doing all these promotions and then like right after GP Vegas, it was just a straight incline and it was a great time to dump cards then. And then when they started paying other content creators to do advertising on their own videos, that's when it like exploded and no one was getting cards. Everyone was getting like $3 in the free points and then no one was ever sending anything. So paid advertising kills, I guess. I don't know. Which is I why mean, we refuse to do advertisements on this cast, obviously. Clearly the reason. My biggest problem was the Puka point was tr like they tried to lock it to the dollar when realistically they should have just like they should have exchanged it like a normal currency where it fluctuates. And I, I think that at some point in time, people should just be able to like say, this is what I want and this is how many points I'm going to pay. And you could just outbid the other people. That way you get the cards as they are being traded if you want to pay more for them or you can wait and you could just leave your like your bit lower like i don't know it, it it was it still is that that way where it's like kind of on tcg low or tcg market price or whatever like the problem is when cards spike you just you get them or you don't get them or if it like tanks like it, it once the smuggler's copter got banned i'm a hundred percent sure a ton of people got smuggler's copter sent to them that had no business wanting anymore and that's just crappy
I don't. So think they that, they actually introduced a way to stop that. You could set a point restriction on the on how high the card could go to get it shipped to you. Uh, it's hilarious though because all these problems came up and they just keep trying to add widgets and like other random things to try to get people to come back. They're like, well, well, well. Now if your card spikes, you have this thing that, you know. You, you don't have to worry about it because you can set the cap, but it's like, why is that necessary if the site should be running like normal? So, yeah, I don't know. Like, in theory, it was good. In practice, it didn't work out. I used it for a while. Um, I got a bunch of bulk rares to finish off my points. And that's pretty much, I, I have no interest in going back. Yep. Yeah, I think you have to be real picky about uh, what online platforms you use when you're definitely just not selling cards. Or, yeah, when you're like trading cards instead of selling cards. And speaking of being picky, we should probably move into pick of the week soon since we've been talking for about an hour and 15 minutes. That sounds good to you guys. Only if you sing it. It's time for the pick of the week. You guys happy that I sang that? Oh my god, we must have caught you on a wow. really good day. You actually... No, I've had a very bad day. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's so bad it couldn't get worse by singing. Yeah, especially because we have all these li- these people watching us live. Um, who wants to start off with pick of the week? Uh, basically how it works is you name a pick and it gets entered even if you're a guest onto our super fan at papu underscore MTG spreadsheet and he tracks every week, every single pick of the week, what has gone up percentage-wise or down. So you guys will officially be entered into the the Cartel Aristocrat spreadsheet. So you got to make it a good one, guys. I also don't think you put your name. I think you just are you are just guest. So yeah, yeah, you're every, just guest. Every guest gets part of the guest conglomerate of picks, which usually beats all the rest of us because we suck at this. Uh, I would go first because I think this one is one that people might not pick, and if they do, I'm going to be mad at them. So I'm going to go first. So. Given what's happening in Stator right now, I really like Sky Sovereign console flagship. It's a Mythic Rare from Kaladesh. It's about 4 or $5. It's pretty, pretty inexpensive. But I think that it's going to start seeing a lot more play in sideboards and main decks even because it's really good against the two most popular decks in the standard right now. Um, yeah, I know I picked the standard card. I'm probably going to get destroyed by this because of how the like spreadsheet thing works and whatever. Like, it doesn't ever pick the peak price, which you should be selling it at. It's just like whenever he updates it, which is really obnoxious. Um, but yeah, I read uh, Ari Lax posted a like old school tournament report on Reddit today about his experience at Grand Prix of Pittsburgh, and he was just you know had nothing but praise for Sky Sovereign, which is pretty similar to Heart of Kirin. Like, you know, it's crew three. It's, like, not ter- terribly easy to crew, but it just blows up all the creatures in standard pretty much, and it flies, which is at a premium. And it also beats the Heart of Kirin in combat. So, like, it's got a lot of things going for it. I don't know if it's going to see adoption right away, but I think that once the standard lists start to, like, converge on 175, uh, you'll see a lot more Sky Sovereigns and sideboards and maybe even main decks, and you'll be happy to own some. Hmm. I'm, I, uh, I'm still thinking. So I'm going to uh, take a break from Standard and go with uh, a casual card. Uh, I'm actually going to go with a foil. 
Uh, Exquisite Blood from Addison Restored. Uh, this one's been sort of slowly creeping up on interests and um, only sits at around 15 bucks. Uh, has one printing. I think this is definitely the kind of foil that can double up to around $30. Not in the short term, but I think long term this is easily a $30 foil. Um, these kind of like global uh, life gain, life loss type of cards are really, really popular, similar to the, you know, uh, the, the doubling kind of cards. Um, anything that involves life gain, especially on a global scale when you're playing commander with, you know, with multiple players, uh, casual players and kitchen table players really, really like. Uh, I think the... I think the the non-foil probably sits around like nine or ten bucks, and the foil is at fifteen dollars, which I think is quite low. Um, so that's mine. For the next person goes, I just want to point this out. That card could be in Modern Master Seventeen, because that is an Avicen Restored card, so it's going to be part of the new set of cards that gets added in. Does that very good your point? Pick? Very, very, very good point. Um, that probably, I, to be honest with you, I had not considered that. So uh, that does affect my pick, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but I still think as a foil, uh, I still think the foil might be okay um, long term. Typically, I think the foils don't haven't aren't hurt too much by the the modern master printing. But yeah, that might I might have to come back. Give me a second then, and let me take another look and see. But um, I, I, that could definitely affect it. So yeah, you might want to watch out. But if it's not reprinted, then you definitely want to scoop that one up. So so I think that this pick might be good in like two or three weeks after we get more of the spoiler, or like any spoilers, I guess, for Modern Master 17. Like as soon as it's not in there, it might be a good idea to pick it up. But maybe you should just hang on and, and wait a few more weeks to see what happens. Very, very valid. I totally agree. Thanks for, for pointing it out. Mine is also contingent on the Modern Masters, or what, what's in Modern Masters, sorry. But I am going with Scytherix the Blight Dragon. It's like 13, 14 right now? Yeah, and so was Avacyn at one point, and then that had no problem going to $30. All right, it's recorded and put down. Ed, what do you got this week? Uh, I'm going to stick with standard. Any card that moves in large volume is great for me. Um, I think my pick would probably be Kha'Zix Return. Uh, I kind of saw an uptick. Steve Rubin had a pretty sweet blue-red uh, Grixis Emerge deck. Uh, Kha'Zix Return is very good against a vehicle's deck. It kills everything in that deck. Um, and if you manage to flash it back with an Elder Deep Fiend or something, then you can realistically kill uh, Heart of Carrots too. Uh, it's also reasonably good against a black-green deck, especially the list that play... Um, Glint Sleeve Siphoner, a lot of the smaller creatures, it's very easy to catch those early and at instant speed. Um, it was a Mythic and Oath of Gatewatch, not the most popular set. Um, so it's one of those things that if it does see play, it'll probably be pretty ubiquitous and standard, especially if Mardu Vehicles kind of continues to trend the way it does. Yep. Tarkin, do you have a second Sunrise pick? <laughs> no, that card's <laughs> Oh man, that was. Uh, I I I I I don't. Except I will say that uh, a Strionic Resonator, which is a, f a foil that ended up showing up on interest. Uh, I really liked that a long time ago, and the foil ended up popping. So I still think the non-foils of Strionic Resonators are good money. I called that. I called that a long time ago, and I still like that one. So I'll just I'll fall back on that one. 
Oh, just so for the record, I don't own any Scytherix the Blight Dragon. Oh, and I own none of these cards either. <laughs> no buyouts my, here. My pick of the week is Wars Toll from Dissension. Um, this card's been real popular with my local Goblin players anytime we get this card in. Uh, it's starting to tick up a little bit, and I'm pretty confident you're not going to lose any money if you buy it. I don't think this is getting reprinted anytime soon. Uh, my secondary pick is Garrick Apex Predator. We've been selling out of that like crazy. It's a 7-mana Planeswalker that does a ton of fun stuff in casual decks. And it wasn't really printed that much. There weren't too many of those opened. I think this thing goes to 15 uh, real soon. Because it's already gone from single digits to just now creasing 10. Uh, so those are two cards I would pick. I think War Toll, Wars Toll is a pretty good one. Um... I actually didn't even know that card existed, and I read it, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is like a totally a thing that if more people knew what it was and it existed, it would be purchased a lot more. It's the same thing with Mage Rite Stone. Nobody knows what that card does, and then you show it to a Cranko player, and they snap by it. Tarkan, just pick a Reserve List card. I mean, it's not that... Just actually, like, redact what you were saying about that card. And just pick a reserve list card, man. It's not hard. Uh, brain, brain geyser. Brain geyser. No, that's, you can't. that's my reserve no, list that, card all the that, time. No, you can't pick that card. <laughs> pick something <Okay>. else. <laughs> well, speaking of reserve list cards, we were speaking literally. Of, no, go ahead, Summit. <laughs> speaking of reserve list cards, we were really fortunate to have you guys on this week. Really. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're, no, they're you, really, you did that one really over your head. <laughs> that was good. I'll give you props yeah. on that one, Jeremy. Thanks. What? And yeah, you can't pick Brain Guys or pick another card. You pick that card like literally five times. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you, man. I just put it in Brain Guys. Damn. All right, we'll put Brain Geyser <laughs> down on the sheet for uh, Tarkin. Uh, to no, be fair, he's only picked it once on this cast, so it's okay. Yeah. Oh, oh right, I, right, I have right, made right. the mistake okay. of picking the same card two weeks in a row, and that was bad. And speaking of the other cast, you guys sort of want to go ahead and say where people can find you and what the name of your cast is and where you guys write content and all the other fun stuff that comes at the end of an episode? Yeah, sure. So Twitter is probably the best place to find me at ChazVMTG. I write content for Quiet Speculation, and you can find me on the MTG Goldfish podcast. And you can give a shout out to any local thing that's going on or any cool interactions you've seen on Twitter lately. Um, I have no shout out. <laughs> All right. Zero <laughs> shout outs from Chaz. Man, that's rough. <laughs> uh, shout out uh, to Jim. Funny. He's in a local Floridian. I don't know. Yeah, you can give shout-outs to the people here, man, for, for having us on. Shout-outs to, to Jerry. Oh, yeah. Why oh, yeah, us on of course. The cast. I mean, I, th I thought that was like, yeah, thank you, obviously. Thank you. I love being on this cast. Yeah, shout-out yeah, to Chaz, who also lives in the same state as me, but I have no idea where, and I've never seen him. Shout-out to Global Warming for burying half of Florida by 2050. Oh, yeah, I'll be out of here by then. Oh, man, I, I'm so lucky I live in Orlando. That's probably the last place that's going to exist. It'll be an island by the time I leave. So you're saying all that's left will be Disney? Call it a mini island? Uh, yeah, it'll be like owned by the Walt Disney World Company. and It'll be great. I think that pun went over your head, Jim. Tarkin, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, I'm at the underscore Tark, T-A-R-K on Twitter. Um, I do the QS cast with Chaz. And I'm an admin over at the MTG Finance Central Facebook page. So you can talk with me over there as well. 
And a shout out to, to Jeremy and the group for having us on. Yeah, on definitely. Big shout out. Big shout out. Ed? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter, Edwin13. Uh, I will be in Grand Prix Vancouver this weekend, uh, the Connecticut RPT the weekend after that. Weekend off, New Jersey, Japan, and Orlando. And that takes us to the end of March. Uh, shout out to um, Mike. He, he came up to me. No, Mike. He came up to me during uh, during GP Pittsburgh. He was one of our listeners. He said he tunes in every Tuesday, likes what we say. So hopefully he'll hear this sometime before next Tuesday. Um, but shout out to him. Shout out to Alex Sittner. I mentioned him earlier. A uh, lot of very good, insightful discussion with these people. And definitely a shout out to uh, our two guests today. Uh, all right, then. Uh, my name is Jim Casal. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. You can find me on Gathering Magic every other week. You can find me on Modern Nexus every week. And uh, shout out to Baral for making um, my opponent's lives miserable and um, counter spells for being great. My name's Zemet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. I occasionally write for Card Confidants. Um, thanks for all the viewers that are watching live. We got a pretty sizable live uh, chat interaction uh, due to how long this cast has been going. Shout out to Chris Parker for reminding me that I mispriced my Heliods in the case after listening to all my episodes in a row to catch up. Uh, shout out to... Uh, oh, I guess I'll. We have a Winamox this weekend. Uh, there's between 80 and 100 people projected to show up right now. Um, I promise people that if we get over 64 people, I will give away between 6 to 10 revised dual lands as door prizes. And it looks like I'm giving away a set of Underground Seas and a set of Volcanic Islands as door prizes uh, for this tournament this weekend. Shout out to people for driving between 6 and 7 hours this weekend to our Winamox because I would definitely not do that. But yeah, uh, shout out to the Des Moines Legacy Group for driving in and the guys that listen to the cast there. And shout out to the people down in Paducah, Kentucky for driving God knows how far to Columbia this weekend. You can find me in Columbia at Valhalla's Gate. Uh, just don't like stalk me outside the shop. And other than that, uh, you can find us at cartel underscore finance on Twitter. Thanks for listening to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 42 with Tarkin Chaz, Ed, and of course, Jim Caprizi. And we'll see you guys next week.